Welcome to Culture Bites, where we take culture theory and turn it into everyday insights. We're powered by Human Synergistics, and our mission is to change the world one organization at a time. We can only do that together with our amazing community, so thank you for listening. Welcome to Culture Bites. We've just opened up registrations for this year's uh, Culture and Leadership Conference, which is going to be in Australia in August and September. We've also got a conference happening in New Zealand too in September. So there'll be a link to register for that in the, the notes of this podcast. But we thought, given that we've just opened registrations, we'd bring back a former conference speaker, a famed conference speaker from former years. So we're joined in the studio by Shape Group and Kate Evans, who's the, the group executive for People and Culture, as well as Jared McMahon, who's one of the founders. So welcome, guys. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, Thanks for, for having, having us. us. Fantastic. And we've also got Culture Bites regular, David Byram, General Manager of Human Synergistics Australia and New Zealand. Hey, DB. Hello, all. Good morning. Uh, it's a great day in Sydney. Winter's got away again. It's good to be here with Kate and Jared. They've got a great story to share. So looking forward to uh, sharing their story with everybody. So full house. I don't know if we've ever done a podcast with four people before. Pretty exciting. It's going to be very exciting. Get in there. And we don't have to do all the work today, so it's even better. That's, all, that's always better. So, so guys, I know, DB, probably the same for you. I know the shape story is a short story I always share with clients and talk about because I think it's a fantastic one of, you know, what does successful culture change look like? And what I love about your story is what difference did it make to the business, right? And I think the why is always super important. So I guess kicking off on that note, what difference did culture make to the business? Oh, it made an enormous difference to what I call the historic measures of business performance. So that was the key driver, how we, how were we going to lift financial performance, safety performance, customer satisfaction, those sort of key metrics. Uh-huh. And we'd hit a, hit a fairly low spot and we knew we needed to do something about our culture. I think when the business started, there was a, we didn't know what constructive culture was then, but oh. there was a, a keen focus on our people by the uh, all the founders. It was pretty much in our DNA, and we lost that somewhere along along the line. We started thirty years ago, so you go through ebbs and flows over thirty years in any business. Uh-huh. And uh, at one point, I think the business became well. I don't think our data, when we measured scientifically, started measuring culture scientifically using good diagnostic tools. Uh, we found that our culture had become quite quite aggressive mm-hmm. and performance had started to tail off, financial performance and the other metrics I mentioned. So we thought we, we, we really need to do something about this and we need to do something in a scientific scientific way about lifting culture back to uh, the constructive zone. We went about that and we'll talk more about that, I'm sure, how we went about that uh, uh, and performance followed. Yeah, okay. So how, Kate, how did you see it playing out, that aggressive culture? On a sort of daily basis, how was it impacting the business? I suppose what was what was the problem with it? Oh, it impacted the business in every respect. Now we think, can think about it in hindsight. So, mm. the way we were structured uh, it was set up for a very competitive environment. Mm. Um, I think at one point during that time, we had five individually individually operating companies. Um, oh wow! With, you know, each person had their own patch, and there wasn't much sharing in terms of people and, and those sorts of things. Right, so they're quite siloed off from Very each other. Very siloed. Yep. And, you know, so the, the behaviours that followed from the top of those individual business units kind of permeated all, all the way through the organisation. It was also about, you know, that following on from that competitive, it was about winning at all costs. 
in terms of securing the work and the way we delivered it, the way we treated our subcontractors, etc. So, so what was that cost? The cost was, I think, as Jared just pointed out, underperformance. You know, we we now know, looking at our business measures, uh, we have less people now than we did back in in those times, and we're we're far more successful on every metric. Oh. And you know, people were falling over each other to kind of try and get ahead and you know, kind of creating their own work for the sake of it and those sorts of things. Aha, uh-huh, right. So sort of a lot of busy work and stuff Lots being of busy created. Work. Yeah. yeah. It's funny that I remember from a from a business size and I think I shared this on the podcast before. You know, they're different countries but but we're all selling the same things and different countries would undercut each other. Yeah. And so on, right? It was kind of an aggressive culture. And so guys, we're pitching for the same business and we're the same company, but we're yeah. undercutting each other. It's insanity, right? So your instinct was you knew you could be different. What was that different to look like? It was definitely going back to those grassroots to be different in the construction environment, which is, you know, known to be quite kind of command and control culture by nature. We had to go back to treating our people the right way and getting them to want to work for us and to treat, you know, all of our clients and our subcontractors and those sorts of things the right way. Do you want to expand on the right way? It's now all about kind of win-win, where I think before I kind of talked about, you know, winning at all costs. Mm. And for us now, we absolutely understand that, you know, it doesn't matter who we work with, our clients, we've got to understand what their vision is and what they want. We then have to help our people and all the, the stakeholders that we work with to understand that and work towards that. We all want to reach the same goal and we, we all have something to gain out of that. So it's understanding what each person or party, mm. what their involvement is in that and, you know, making that all, all come together. So Fantastic. I like the phrasing of win-win versus win at all cost. Awesome. Jared, your perspective, different? No, not, not really. It's about treating people with respect, I guess, in culture, language, or treating all members with respect. I think a really important aspect of a healthy culture is uh, what human synergistics calls the affiliative style. So it's friendly, open, approachable, genuine concern for each other. And I think if you can build that style, so much good comes out of that style innovation because mm. you've created a safe environment. So innovation, people aren't afraid to come up with, with suggestions, with ideas for doing things better. And you genuinely, and a lot of our people say this, this to me, they, they genuinely wake up looking forward to coming to work. And if you've created that environment, it's hard to see how success can't follow in terms of customer satisfaction, again, financial performance. So this, the shareholders are happy and the subcontractors are happy. Um, our subcontractors have a much better level of engagement with us in a constructive culture mm-hmm. now because they're treated with respect as well. And they're absolutely critical and vital part of our business. Every dollar we receive from a customer, 80 cents is paid to subcontractors. So they're just so so vital in our whether we talk about win win or it's win lose. If if yeah. your sub subcontractors aren't really committed to the organisation, you're probably on the on the losing side of the equation. Mm. Yeah, that's that's great insight to the broader impact you're having at the shape group with that con- subcontractor base. Yeah, so we've started. And it took us twenty probably into our twenty fifth year to really work out how important the employee piece was. And we don't talk about employees anymore. We talk about Shapians or hmm. uh, Team Shape, just our people. So you won't hear Kate or I use the term employee very often. So we needed 
we knew we need to get that piece right first. Then off that, we're able to build a great customer experience. And now, again, our the data we collect on customer satisfaction is telling us we're at world best practice levels now, which we certainly weren't six years ago. And now we're we're uh, working having cracked that nut. Now we're working on subcontractor experience. Now I don't think there's too many too many contractors out there, uh, people in the construction industry that would ever thought about the concept of subcontractor experience because a lot of companies just presume there's plenty of subcontractors out there, they're expendable, we'll just get, get new ones, we'll, so churn and burn. And that just you just can't attain high levels of customer satisfaction with that approach. So we've got a core group of subcontractors in each of the key trades in each of the cities we operate in around the country. Yeah, it's great insight, great insight and the impact that you have. So I love that. So that's kind of where we've ended up. But I guess the big question for me is, how did you get going in the first place? What were the first kind of steps to, to get some runs on the board? I think it definitely was when we actually held the mirror up and tested our culture and, and those sorts of things. Uh-huh. For us, it absolutely needed to start with leadership. We probably had it a little bit of the wrong way around um, okay. when we actually began our, our journey. And it came back to us understanding that we wanted to be special again and to look after our people. And we didn't really know how to achieve that though. And, oh. and Jared and I kind of stumbled back to the HS tools in 2014 and became accredited in, in LSI because we knew we needed to support the leadership team that we had at the time with, with some tools on understanding how they, we could create consistency in leadership uh-huh. and just to help people understand you know, what they needed to work on to be as effective as they could be. So we didn't have uh, much of a budget that's why we decided to become accredited. And look, it you know was the best thing that, that we could have done at the time. And so we we managed to get all of our leadership team through their, their LSI. And you know we we definitely went about setting that expectation of constructive to be a leader at Shape. You needed to be a constructive leader and working with all the individuals on that leadership team. Some gravitated to the tool more so than others, let's mm, say. Okay. Um, and it you know, became very evident uh, during debriefs which which people were definitely jumping on and, and which ones were were not really, you know, enthused about about the tool or mm-hmm. or, the, or the change process. Yep. But nevertheless, you know, we, we absolutely, you know, worked with all members and, and tried to kind of help people see that that opportunity that the tool can can provide by way of leadership. So So I imagine that in in a kind of construction environment. Are there some like hard sells, I suppose, people who are like, oh, what is all this? Oh, definitely. Yep. And also, you know, we definitely had a couple of managers that were very proud of their aggressive um, Uh style because, you know, that's what you need to get ahead in the construction industry. And, you know, we've still got a couple of managers that had that viewpoint, you know, five or six years ago with us today because, you know, they absolutely saw, you know, the benefit of change into that constructive space and, and thinking. And look, we also have some that just couldn't make that shift that are now no longer with the organisation. And I think back to your, the, the earlier question, you know, we, to change our culture, really needed to, you know, make sure that leadership was consistent. And for the people that didn't want to change, we had to make those tough calls and, you know, it just wasn't the right environment for them anymore. And that will often happen in culture change and stuff, either through, you know, us choosing, you know, some people don't fit, all people self-selecting out, right? Absolutely. This is, this is the direction we want to go and, and some people feel, well, I'm, I want to stay aggressive or yeah. whatever it is. Yep. I'm not on board and so I might step out and, and yep. that's okay too. Mm. Okay, so so we started with leadership and kind of enrolled them in. Where, where do we go to next after that? 
we went to a culture measure. Okay. And some and a lot of group work as well with all our people. Mm. So using some of the uh, human synergistic simulation tools, which is a great way to quickly roll out a culture change uh, piece of work. Why and, do you say that? Well, we we've got about four hundred people now. Yep. So in groups of twenty to thirty, we uh, could touch all our people with what we were trying to achieve in a cultural sense, in an organizational cultural sense, very quickly. And so it wasn't just top down. It wasn't emails and this is where we're going and fancy HTMLs, huh. Yammer posts. They're all I mean they're all they're all important communication streams, but mm-hmm. there's nothing like the senior leadership team or a couple of the senior leadership team facilitating those sessions. And our CEO at the time, he attended every every group session we ran. Wow. And uh, that was such a powerful message. That is a powerful message, yeah. Uh, uh, so I'd, that was a big part of our culture change. And then to, to actually measure the culture, we had our first culture measurement in 2016. So we started on the leadership program, probably with the benefit of hindsight, we'd do that the other way around, probably would have done the culture measure first. And then mm. with the drill down capability of the culture tool, being able to see where we really needed to target quickly, but hindsight's a wonderful thing. Mm-hmm. And there's probably no right or wrong way to do it. I think the, the important thing is the passion for change, to have that passion. And uh, Kate used the term, a good look in the mirror, and we need to change. We need to change something very drastically here is what, what we found. So the culture measure then, when we drilled into the 2014 survey results on at a state level and at a departmental level, job role level, then we were able to expand the, the leadership training and things like job design, some of our job design was and still isn't as good as it could be. They were still measuring every year. So uh, we're at now able to put quite specific action plans for change in place. Mm. Uh, we now have about 200 of our 400 people in the uh, LSI program, and that's an ongoing wow. program. It's not a one-off debrief. It's six monthly catch-ups. We've got about 15 internally accredited practitioners now out of our 400 people. Debrief with the 360 feedback, definitely using the 360 feedback tool. Mm. Debrief, then action planning, six monthly catch-ups, and then a rerun every 18, well, between 12 and 24 months when the person wants to rerun the data. And when we analyze the reruns, we're getting significant shifts up with uh, our people into the uh, into the constructive zone. So they're shifting into the constructive zone at about at 20% on reruns on average. Wow. And that's just transformed the organization. Fantastic. And so I love the approach because you've talked about using the GSI, so the group styles tool mm-hmm. across the organization, which was getting that that felt impact, I guess, for people, that firsthand experience and that the, the CEO at the time was attended all of those, which is quite a powerful message too about how important this is. And then you said you've got 200 out of 400 people going through LSI on an ongoing basis, which is pretty amazing, right? And there's probably a lot of listeners like, wow, I wish I could (laughs) do that in my organization. And that's right across the organization. So we haven't taken a top-down approach. It's egalitarian. Most people put their hand up and say, can I? Uh Because the internal press is so, it's a good program. And it's, I think a lot of the the storytelling about the tool, which which is incredibly powerful, it's not just great at work, it's great at home mm. as well, which it's is why it's, which why it's called mm. lifestyles. Yeah, mm. uh, so um, we plan. We want to keep expanding that number 
to I don't think we'll ever get all of our people through it. Just uh, that'd be perfectionistic, I guess. Ah. It, it, but we, we certainly are continually growing. And to have the bandwidth to do that, it means a lot of internally accredited practitioners. And so I guess on that, because, you know, it's, it's a big program and, and you've got a lot of internal practitioners and stuff. And you touched on a point earlier, Gerard, which was that passion for change. So where did that come from? You know, like, because we, we talked about we start with leaders and stuff, but where did that passion for change come from? For me, uh, it came at when I thought we'd reached our lowest ebb. Uh-huh. Okay, and it was really a a point where we have to do something here. So you talk about burning platforms. This can't mm. go on. We'd embarked on a really aggressive growth strategy. Mm. It was just all about top-line growth. And mm. Kate mentioned five subsidiaries and all this inter- awful internal competition happening. Mm-hmm. And uh, just to give you some financial stats on that one, at that lowest ebb, we were people were telling us how busy they were. And we talk about internal competition. That's why, why people were busy. They were busy in right. competing internally, not with wasted energy. Not with who we should be competing yeah. within yeah. the marketplace uh-huh. and, and looking at servicing our clients. We were doing $800,000 revenue per annum per employee. We're now doing $1.8 million per employee, $1.8 million revenue per employee per annum. Wow. So that's efficiency, and people don't aren't telling us that they're incredibly busy. They're actually, uh-huh. actually putting their hand up when they see someone across the work, the next workstation that is incredibly busy because it it is a challenge with uh, workload mm-hmm. in a fast paced uh, project environment. Mm. How can I help? Mm. So, and that is a constructive culture at work, mm. and that's a great example of culture driving performance. And a lot of the skeptics say, oh, yeah, this is all soft, soft skill yeah. stuff. Sink and buy uh, And uh, yep, yeah. let's all gather around the campfire, all that stuff yeah. from the skeptics. But at the end of the day, our data ver- and our correlations, and we're asked to present on it quite regularly now, we've, just, we've got really compelling data correlations where the more constructive in a state operation our culture is, the better the, perform- the, better the traditional measures of performance. Awesome. But that passion, Dom, also was the mm. fact our Shapians weren't having the same experience state to state. So okay. the leadership, obviously we know leadership drives culture and we could walk into one state office and get a completely different feel and vibe to another. You know, we'd, we'd run, you know, news, Jared and our CEO would run our induction program for all of our new people and we'd sprout this amazing message about who we were and what we stood for, and uh, that was great for some of our people, but for some going back to certain states, they just weren't living that experience uh-huh. uh, because we had very aggressive cultures still in those operations. So the passion for us was really about how do we get this consistency? And obviously that's what the tool really helped us to understand was, you know, giving us, you know, an opportunity to help people come to that level that we, we required. And as I said before, some, some people got on and, and some people got off. And that was our real challenge was was making sure that that experience was the same. So that you're living up to the employee promise, yep. really, in that case, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. And we weren't. Mm-hmm. We were breaking that promise regularly. Mm. And just on, Kate, one of, your, one of the stories I like from you, you were talking around how the lived experience was different mm-hmm. back in the States. They come to the induction and they go back and it's different. About four years ago, we had a measure going on for you guys around culture. And one of the states was a bit lower on response rate. Do you want to talk us through that story? Yes. So we were we were closing out the culture survey and our account manager from HS put the call through to say, you know, 
did we have a problem in that state? And we still had, you know, a couple of days before that survey closed and said, well, what do you mean? And, you know, we had just such a poor response rate. I think it was only about 10 or 15% and the other states were tracking at around that 75 to 80% response rate. So, and I, I asked him at the time, you know, does this, does this indicate usually, a, a, you know, the result? He said it can. And obviously the data that we found at that time uh, was a complete correlation. So, of course, we had every excuse that, you know, it's, it's not right because we only had a, a 10% response rate. Ah. Um, <laughs> but, of, of course, what we know now is that was spot on to, to where the culture was really at, that very aggressive defensive culture. Yeah, awesome story. The data showed it to be true. Mm-hmm. That's right. Well, and yeah, what I guess what also showed to be true was the, then the, the LSI from those state leadership teams were, were the absolute perfect match to that culture as well. So, you know, that, that was our aha moment that, you know, and how we got all of our leadership team on board was those correlations were so strong across seven state operations. So the leader style to the culture to the business performance were a complete mirror. So you've, you've articulated... And I think one of the most powerful things of your story is if you articulated the importance of involving all levels mm. through the use of the GSI and getting out there and leading it from the front, balancing that with the importance of leadership and self-awareness. And what I heard both of you just talk about was that it's not a one-off event, that you, you have the coaches internally, you touch people every six months, you check in with them. How important do you think that sustainability is for your success that you've now got? Oh, it's critical. And I think it, for us now, we're trying to continue to find other ways of keeping that through the organization because we know that if we take our, our finger off, then you know it, it has the opportunity to slip. So something that we, we now look at is creating opportunities to get people to come into our two-day programs, which you know we've titled Achieve. <laughs> and it's really about just exposing our our people, anybody that wants to keep improving their own LSI and their effectiveness to come along and, and see our current shape leaders talk about our experiences. And it really is just about that vulnerability piece. So we've, we've got six of our senior leadership team, so group executive, and talking about their story and what worked and what didn't. And also just sharing, you know, an opportunity with, you know, 50 other people to kind of work, find out what works and what doesn't and, and how we can learn from each other in that space. So, you know, we're just going to always continually find different ways of, of keeping the opportunities there for people to, to improve and learn. Yep. Fantastic. So one of the questions we often get asked is the importance of the CEO. And you've illustrated how the CEO come out to the GSI sessions. But I think it's important to highlight for you that you had a great CEO and you've got a great CEO now because you've actually transitioned CEOs in the journey and you've maintained and sustained and even grown your constructive culture. What do you put that down to? We promote and we hire very much on cultural fit. Technical stuff's easy okay? and people learn that on the job. So that's a ticket to play for us. So in terms of internal promotions, hard, it's harder, but our people and culture team are great. And the feedback we get on selection and placement from the annual survey, so in the, you know, the 95th percentile of ah. companies in the HS database. So we do that clearly well. You just won't get promoted internally unless you're clearly constructive. And the more so, we might have had a CEO, let's say applicant for want of a better term, that might have been considered the best technical 
person in the country or the world, but if we weren't convinced that they were constructive and able to bring people on the journey with them and therefore, because they can't do it themselves, you can't do it all yourselves, it's a $750 million business, 400 people, seven state operations. You cannot do it yourself. Can't be on every site at the same no, time. No, no. <laughs> so it, it's a it's about mobilising four hundred wonderful people, uh-huh. and um, with common purpose. So we have to be totally convinced that the CEO and anyone on the senior leadership team is constructive uh. and is highly constructive. Uh. Any insights from you, Kate? I would just kind of follow from what Jared was saying, in a sense that we're all in it together at that leadership level and we hold ourselves, each other, ourselves and each other accountable to what we've agreed on, which is being a constructive organisation. Our previous CEO, Mick, obviously was a constructive individual and our current CEO, Peter, is as constructive and together, you know, we kind of set that benchmark for each other and so, you know, Pete really obviously leads that but the rest of us really follow together and the moment you know, anybody will kind of try and step outside of that potentially, you know, it's about, you know, jumping back in together and rewriting that. So, Yeah, and it's always one of those challenging times when you change the, the CEO and no doubt uh, Pete had some big shoes to fill, but I think he's filled them and actually made them bigger. Oh, without question. So yeah. uh, it's, a, it's a good testament. And I think for me, it's actually a testament to the culture, mm. the strength of the culture you've got that a CEO can actually be constructive and live and grow. And if you, I'd put it to you that if you didn't have a constructive CEO, the culture probably would have spat them out. I would hope so. I think it is strong enough because the the belief that we have, in obviously the tools that support us, but at the end of the day, it's the way that we know works for us, and we have every business metric aligned to that now. So, you know, we're not going to kind of change as a group. Yeah. So, yeah, I think you might be right. We're getting near the end, I suspect. I have. A key question for both for of you, it. and that is, what's the personal impact been for you mm. on this journey of culture change? And I know you've both been in the business a long time, but what does it mean for you personally? For me, it's the growth that I've been able to have through my coaching. I feel really privileged to be in a position to to coach a lot of our people, and I learn through them. It's fair to say I struggled with my own LSI one for a long time. I didn't really have that felt need to change until really, you know, the growth that I've had through coaching others. So, you know, I think before when I said it's about sharing and understanding, you know, different ways and thinking and and the outcomes and those sorts of things. So the personal growth I've had really, you know, has been huge as a result of, you know, working with the people I get to work with every day. Beautiful. Thanks for sharing. Well, for me... A couple of things on the journey. One's predates human synergistics by a fair way, maybe 10 years, maybe more, uh, was our first independent chairman who was just a great role model and uh, he was uh, heavily people-focused. His mantra was people, people, people. And then we lost our way a little bit about 10 years later, I guess, and then we uh, were introduced to the tools and, and then my... LSI experience was pretty an eye-opener and especially really the breakouts in the LSI. My my own team saw me as pretty constructive and in fact I think I was overly protective. I don't think I was overly protective and wasn't listening to valid mm. to valid observations about the team's performance or parts of the team, mm. including my own. 
So I'd be overly defensive there and I'd go into particularly oppositional behaviour. Now, that wasn't with the team, that was with my peers on the leadership team. So when I got the 360 feedback, maybe this is my second LSI, from, which was uh, from the, my peers, mm-hmm. that was an eye-opener that I, had, I wasn't seen nearly as constructively. In fact, I was seen more in uh, power was never a problem, thankfully, but it was oppositional mm-hmm. largely. I would shut down. Mm-hmm. I had a propensity to shut down conversations rather than promote debate in the humanistic encouraging style. So that was, that's been a big eye opener for me. And my biggest challenge still is when um, something said that I don't agree with and that I may well be passionate about, and it's managing my passion, is to take the time before I respond. So absolutely respond every time would be mm. my advice. If you're not responding, you're in uh, avoidance mode and that's never going to yep. work. But think about your response and make, uh, make an inquiry about the other person's thinking on that. And my experience there, when you can do that, you'll generally come up with a better uh, a better result or way forward between the two of you if you can become a debate maker rather than a decision maker. Ah. And I think a decision maker lives in the the red aggressive zone. It's just let's just do that. And I was I was brought up to that's what the boss does. Mm-hmm. Jared's a good boss because he'll give you a, a yes or a no straight away. Mm. Well, that's not a good boss. A, a good lead, or it might be a good boss, but a good leader is well, you've had time to think about about this. What, what do you think we should do here? Let's talk about it. So growing other people yep. kind of zone. I love it. All right. Thanks so much for your time today, guys. If, I think we need to keep them here a bit longer. Uh, we'll probably we might, do another one. Maybe do another one. If, um, if you want to see more of the shape story, so Kate spoke at our conference last year, which I think mentioned at the start, and we'll have a link to that, that video in the notes of this podcast. So look it up. It's a fantastic story. Kate talks about, you know, the impact it made on performance and so on. And it's, it's awesome from that point of view. So so definitely check that out. And if you want to come along to this year's conference, we'll have uh, links to register for that too. So it's in August and September in Melbourne and Sydney. And there's also a conference happening in New Zealand in uh, September as well. So check that out. All right, guys. Thanks very much. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thanks. Thanks for listening to this episode of Culture Bites. If you enjoy the show, remember to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, leave us a review. It helps other people to find the show. If you have a question you'd like us to answer, email podcast at human-synergistics.com.au. We'd love to answer it. This podcast is copyrighted by Human Synergistics Australia. All rights reserved. To learn more about what we do, visit human-synergistics.com.au.